episode of Speak LA, the podcast, Underground Actor Talk is sponsored by Actors Connection. At Speak LA, we interview top industry professionals in the entertainment business with a mission of learning what they know that got them to where they are so that we can share that intel with you. Hello, guys. I'm Camille, and I am very excited to be your host. Today, I'm really excited to be interviewing Dee Dee Pfeiffer. Dee Dee is an award-winning actress who has numerous credits to her name, including Red Surf, where she starred opposite George Clooney, Tune In Tomorrow, where she starred opposite Keanu Reeves. You'll also recognize Dee Dee as Sybil's daughter in the Emmy award-winning comedy Sybil. Currently, she stars on the ABC drama Big Sky as Denise Brisbane. This role is a return to acting for Dee Dee after she spent 10 years away from Hollywood to earn a master's degree in social work from UCLA. She has raised two boys as a single mother, balancing her acting, academics, and everything in between. And I'm just really excited to have her as a guest today. Enjoy. How old were you when you moved to LA? 18. Did you know anyone here? Only my sister, Shell. Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first day job? Uh, I think I was like 10 years old, maybe nine. Uh, walked up the street and for 50 cents per uh, impression, I made dental impressions for an orthodontist. Oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> what was your first job in the industry? Into the Night, John Landis. Wow. What was your first impression of LA? Scary. <laughs> yeah, I can feel you on that one. Uh, what was your first impression of the industry? Scary. <laughs> if you had to sum up LA in one word, what would it be? Scary. Comes <laughs> <laughs> in three. You knew that third answer. <laughs> scary, scary. <laughs> it's exciting and scary. Yeah. It's like salty and sweet, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Anything linear about it. <laughs> yeah. Nope. At all. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> love it. Salty, sweet, scary. Love it. Exciting. <laughs> and exciting. Great. A little, I'm a little deep fried. Yeah. I'm going to heat wave right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love it. Welcome, Dee Dee. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you today. Thank you. I was really, really excited to um, get to speak with you. And like, I'd love to just start with the, the beginning. Like, did you okay. always know that you wanted to be an actor? Oh, God, no. no. Uh, <laughs> you know, the most beautiful things in life are accidents. Yeah. And that has to wrap up my entire life. <laughs> just like one act. I didn't think I was probably an accident. I don't think my parents planned me, which would certainly under- make sense in the trajectory of the rest of my life. No, I, at that point in my life, at 18 years old, I had been working since I could, you know, drive my bicycle up the road because back then, which was what, the 60s and 70s, um, I was born in 64, you could work. I mean, child labor was not a thing. And I wanted things, money to go buy like Bell at Bond, these big lip chaps, these things you put on your lips. Yes. I loved those. Big, thick ones. And and my mom and dad didn't have enough money to go to Kmart and buy it. So I would have to get a job. They're like, if you want to go get a job. And I did. I went up the street and, you know, just started doing anything for 50 cents here, a dollar there. 
Um, and so I could go buy Bonnie Bell. That's what it's Bonnie called. Bonnie Bell. Bonnie Bell. Yeah. I loved it's Bonnie Bell. Were the best, weren't they? Yeah. And for all your listeners in my generation, they know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, by the time I was 18, I had numerous jobs because at this point I hadn't worked since I was like 10. Um, so my sister had actually, she had a film Scarface. But it hadn't come out yet. So she had already been established in Greece, too, and a couple other things. So I was like, well, I think I want to try this thing called acting. I have no idea what it's like. But it seems like it's a lot of fun. I'm watching my sister on TV. And she yeah. goes, stop. That is not what it's about. If you want to be an actor, get into an acting workshop immediately. And the best one there is. And from there, if you really want to be an actor, then you go look for an agent headshots. Because um, she really gave me the best advice. So I got into her acting shop at that time, um, Peggy Fury. Had to illegally work at a female oil and mud wrestler joint sl- slinging drinks, the Hollywood Tropicana, to support the expensive um, acting class, which I was horrible in. I was nervous. I couldn't remember my lines. I stuttered. It was so scary. And they were like, why is this girl in this acting class? And I was like, because I'm a hardhead. And I kind of had this, well, I'm not going to quit this until I can figure it out. Right. 30 plus years later, I'm 58. And I still can't figure it out. I'm not sure as an artist you ever do. And if you do, I think you're kind of done. Right. I think as an artist, you have to continuously grow and discover and change and it's like an ebb and flow. Um, and even to this day, I'm always very pleasantly shocked that somebody employs me. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I love it. I mean, it's, it is true that it is the, the one thing that I love about acting is it is the craft that you will always need to work at. Like it, it will always be something that, you know, if you're having a rough day, like just a low self-confidence day it's it's really hard to get up on that stage or or shoot whatever it is you're shooting you know it is something you have to continually kind of like improve yourself with as well as your craft which is kind of cool well it's so true and for me because i'm four plus years sober part of my recovery is giving to others also having left the career uh three years ago to take a 10-year break to go get my um bachelor's and bachelor's in psych and my master's in social work um, uh, my uh, area of concentration was not children, but rather the homeless and substance use and mental health. So like, for instance, to loop that back to where I'm now, like on the set of Big Sky, the world's a noisy place. It's a crazy place. This is also yeah. a tough shoot. We have a lot of things. COVID, someone gets COVID and boom, yeah, everyone around them is gone for five days. That changes yeah. the schedule. So it's, it's kind of crazy. We have like 5,000 new guest stars this year. So there's a lot going on. So I often come to the set and I see a crew that's a little tired, a little beat up. So I could I get to come in and use my social worker skills that I used to use in the field with the homeless and be like, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing out here? What's going on? And give them all like, their, I'm like the little cheerleader, you know? And I'm able to do that from a place of love, a place of sobriety, gratefulness, and also my social worker skills in being the big rah-rah, the cheerleader, you know, advocating for you and your mental health and keeping the crew and the cast, you know, um, a little light, reminding them we're not doing brain surgery, but we are <laughs> an awesome show, right? Uh, so I get to kind of be all these things. And that's that's super fun. I have so many questions about everything yeah. you just said but one of the things I want to say is you know that that quote of like we're not doing brain surgery I've definitely heard that a lot but why does it feel like we are doing brain surgery like why does it feel as an actor it it does feel it can be like you said at the beginning scary like it can be that scary mix of excitement that is just 
it can be overwhelming. I think it's two, well, it's many things, but to <laughs> narrow it to two things that make sense. One is usually as artists, we want to be liked and loved. Okay. Right. That's right. just the innate, like hardcore truth. Right. Really, you see an, a, a, a somebody who's an artist, actor, right? Or anybody in the industry that does, that uh, creates things, right? Do they not give an F about what you think about them? That's the whole point is you want people to go, oh, my God, it's so good. Or you're so funny. Or, oh, you were awful. And I just wanted to hate you because you were the villain or whatever. Oh, you're so beautiful, sexy. Um, Or your writing is amazing. Your direction, blah, blah, blah. Right. So we go into with that. Then there is that little silent thing that no one talks about. This is somebody else's money that came to the table or a few people who put a lot of money to produce this thing, whether it's TV, feature films, or independent films, or theater, right? Somebody had to put up the money, and they're hoping to get that money back, and you're part of that, you know, that bigger picture. That's mm-hmm. not said, but when you have the AD yelling at you and they're hitting their imaginary watch, time is money, time is money, get her out of makeup, get her out of her hair, get on there, what do you mean she doesn't know her alliance? You know, that all t- um, goes into the big picture, so, for instance, if you are an actor and you sit in and the other actor's not prepared, that freaks you out a little bit. You're like, well, yeah. and you don't want that coming down on you. And, and that goes back to, oh, my God, please like me, love me, don't hate me. I, you know, um, and so I think it's a lot of things, but those two things for sure. Yeah. So what would you say would be something that an actor could say to themselves when they're in that moment of feeling that pressure that you're talking about? Because I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, it's yeah. tough. Um, well, first thing you're doing in that moment is future tripping. Mm. First, you have to acknowledge that you're future tripping. So you want to pull it in for a minute, even close your eyes if you have to, or try to shut off your, your ear balls and just take a bit. I call it the Trevor pause. It's a guy I went to rehab with. He's no longer with us. And it's 20 who OD'd. But uh. he would stand up and be like, they're just trying to tell you to take a damn pause before you speak. And I thought, thank you, Trev. <laughs> he seemed to have gotten that element of uh, rehab, but unfortunately his disease got him but i just call the trevor pause just stop take a huge breath a few if you have to and don't speak <laughs> don't react because you mm-hmm. want to be able to respond to that moment whether it's verbally or physically <laughs> so oh oh i have my many rescues we have dogs and a cat over here too jackie i hear you <laughs> Oh, my dog heard your cat. That's Is that what? Cat. My cat's over there. She, oh, my God. Let me just tell Jack. She's, he brought me a present. Thank you so much. Thank you. Heard oh, my, my gosh. These cats, these dogs. Anyways, so taking a pause is what you were saying. I think you could, in life. Yeah. You know, and self-regulate. Oh, my God. That's so cute. I can hear your cat. Oh, Star is her cat. It's not ours. Stop. <laughs> That is so funny. Um, so <laughs> that's live, right? There's yeah, yeah, live. we're live. <laughs> right there. Um, so uh, that pause actually can do a lot. Mm-hmm. More importantly, if not taking the pause, the damage it can do is then you're going back and having to um, go clean up some messes. For instance, when you knee-jerk react to anything, Often it's usually not how you react if you just took a moment to think about what you really want to say, what you really want to do. And I think in those moments, this is the same thing, right? Kind of like take a big breath and maybe step back a little bit and look at the production as a whole, right? As a whole. Because acting is not an eye. 
I mean, even like a one woman, one man, or one they show has a whole team of people behind them to make that person get up on stage, right? Unless you're sitting there just doing your own one-on-one Zoom thing, right? Right, right, right. And you're literally doing all of it by yourself. Awesome. Usually you need some help with some other people. So it's, it's a community, it's a family. So I think if you think of it that way, it's less of a, of a me, me, I, I, oh my gosh, because that's what we do. We go to the panic, the fear. Yeah. And it does, it's true. It gets very selfish and inward rather than it becoming, we forget. It's, it's, it's kind of like when you're in a scene, when you make that person in front of you more interesting, you, you need to make them more interesting than yeah. yourself. And it actually makes you more interesting, you know? And in that moment, if you can try to learn to respond or, or respond to the situation as a, I want to respond in a way that is going to help the group, help the package, help the whole situation versus me, your, your response is usually going to be a team, a team player kind of response, right? Um, ver- you know, versus other responses that are not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's true. I mean, I love that you went to recovery and did all that because the 12 steps, especially in Los Angeles, I mean, talk about one thing in LA that has an abundant amount of recovery and it's just incredible. And the people that have, I always love meeting people that have gone to different, you know, forms of recovery because I love that pause and, and just, you know, what it offers you. So that's, that's another cool thing about LA for, which we haven't really mentioned on this podcast before, but the recovery is phenomenal in Los Angeles. Um, well, I, you want to meet a bunch of celebrities and musicians and people in the industry? Don't go yeah. to a restaurant. Go to your, look, your nearest AA meeting and the odds are, I promise you, you'll probably bump into one. <laughs> that is true. We are everywhere. And I'm on the set of Big Sky and I'm like, I'm really loud and proud about my sobriety and I'm very much an advocate for having the conversation. Yeah. Taking the thing out of this so we can have the conversation so those of us that are active in your disease can seek help without such shame and embarrassment and feeling like loser, which is why most of us don't seek help, right? right. So, like, hey, Didi, how you doing? How's everyone doing? I'm sober. They're like, okay, wow. <laughs> and yet they love it. And then I have people later on in the day or whatever will come up to me and whisper, hey, I got 15 years. And, you know, I'll say, hey, why are you so quiet about it? Yeah, 15 years. That's exactly why I'm loud about it, because you're still whispering about something you should be proud of. But somehow society's still saying it's it, there's stigma around it. There's still something negative around it when it should be. Hey, do you have any idea how hard it is to stay sober every day and not use your drug of choice, your DOC, whatever it's gambling, sex, heroin, meth, or alcohol, or whatever the drug of choice is, it's kind of irrelevant. You're having to deal with the why and often trauma and all sorts of other things to stay sober. Yeah. Right. And if you're doing that. That should be like rewarded, not shamed down into this. Oh yeah. Quiet. Like I have 35. I'm like, are you kidding me? I have four years and I'm like, you have 35? You're like God to me. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I had a director once who was, I was doing a, a the Christmas Carol at South Coast Rep and he had been, he was sober for, gosh, I'm trying to remember years. Like, I think he was at 35, 40 years. And I just remember thinking, that's incredible that you were able to do, because it's not just being sober in terms of what your, you know, your drug of choices or whatever it is. It's also being sober in terms of your thoughts and how you treat yourself. And that's the piece of it. I think a lot of people don't understand about the 12 step is it's like, it's also about like, how are you showing up to care 
for your your body, your mind, your spiritual aspect. Like how do you it's it's teaching you a whole new connection to life. And that's that ain't easy. <laughs> that's hard. It's true, man. It's true. And there's days where you're just like, I, I just don't want to do this. You know, it's we call them the addicts doing push-ups, finding any excuse to relapse, what have you. And it's happened to many people who've had multiple years just go, that's it, I check out, you know. And that's super sad, but they often find their way back. And then they can tell that story of relapse and what led them there. So they give the gift of knowledge to others. These are the prelapse signs, guys and gals, right? And they, so there are prelapse. So what we do is we hopefully educate each other, right? Yeah. Because it's not just sober or not. There are prelapse signs, like when you go back, if you make it through, because sometimes when people go out, which is what we call it, um, they don't make it back. You, you lose into the light, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Get to tell you there what was going on for them to get there, but those who did and and didn't go to the light too soon get to say this is what was going on inside me, you know, away from pointing the fingers as as to well he did this she did this. It's not about that. There was something going on inside of you, you know, that the addict was able to um, take advantage of, hijack, and then take you down, right, kneecap you. Also, um, I think it's so cool is that you know. Um, I just want to reach out to everyone. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. And especially in the pandemic. So, uh, and if anyone's out there struggling, you know, you're not alone. You're not alone. Everybody no. who's recovery was struggling. And yeah. There's a, there's a book actually that I was reading last night because I think I'm still struggling from the last couple of years. I mean, I had a couple of deaths in my family and, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, changes that have happened in everybody's lives that I think people are really still kind of thinking about. And it's it's interesting because I think one of the things I've had to work on, and I think this is good for actors to hear because it can be very easy in this profession to go down rabbit holes of like, you know, I didn't get this job or I want this job or I need this or whatever. And the validation that you're not always going to receive in this industry. And um, I was reading this book by Melody Beattie. That's about, have you heard, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's, um, she, she wrote this book, Codependent No More, but then she also wrote this book called 48 Day Miracles, I think. And she says, be grateful for the things that are hard, not just the things that are wonderful in your life. Like if you're going through a hard time, just say, you know, I'm grateful that I didn't get that audition. I'm grateful, you know, and, and she talks about it. Obviously it's, it's, you can't just say it if someone has passed away, it's a different, you can't, you know, that's a, that's a whole other thing that she talks about in the book, but I thought it was really interesting because you're right. It has been a tough couple of years and I think it's still tough. And there's a lot of um, quick kind of shifts that are happening that we have to process things so quick. And I find myself sometimes needing to be sober with my thoughts, just using that word. Cause it's such a great word, but needing to, check myself a lot right now about how I'm thinking and how I'm thinking about what I want in my life and the changes that are happening in, in our lives because of all of this. And um, one of the things I really admire about you, just bringing it back to sort of how you have switched in all these different careers, it's just so cool that you were so open to exploring all these avenues that you enjoyed. So I, I'd love to hear like how you made the decision to kind of leave the industry and pursue this new passion that, that which is so cool because now you're bringing it back to the industry like you bring it back to what you do so it never you know it never leaves you so I'd love to hear a little bit about that um once again that was an accident 
it was never really, I'm not one for planning much in the future. Yeah. Now a little too much. Um, yeah, I'm actually known for that. Like, well, did have you thought about like where your son's going to go pre-K? I'm like, do I have to do that? They're like, oh my God, yes. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm really very too much in the now. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Like, way too much. Um, about 13 years ago, um, I hit a point in my acting where I swear the girls that I would have to hire to watch my boys were getting, I was paying them more money than I was getting on these low budget independents, which I love doing, by the way. But when I, I was only doing them really for health insurance and money and and the, the, I was going in the negative and I wasn't feeling very good about myself. I felt like I had been loyal to a profession for 30 plus years that wasn't really being so kind back. And I mm-hmm. thought, you know, and here I have, I'm raising two boys on my own. I'm a woman. And the, the roles were getting sketchy at that point at best, meaning like they just weren't around. And I thought, huh, this, something's not working for me. My soul, I'm not getting what I need for, to nurture my soul. So I've always been into, um, saving animals, being the loud mouth for somebody in the room who, who can't speak for themselves. Um, always advocating for what's right, but not, ne- not for myself, but for others. So anyways, I decided to, um, I said to my sister, I said, I think I want to go to school and like get a degree in helping people. And she goes, go for it. That'd be awesome. So I just walked up to a community college, uh, the nearest one. And I just said, hi, um, I need to talk to someone about going to college. They're like, oh, here's a counselor. And he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, um, I want to help people. He said, okay, well, what degree do you want? I go, I don't know. You tell me because that's not how it works now. You have to tell me. I said, I don't know how it works. <laughs> you, and I go, I just want to help people. And he goes, well, do you want a psych degree? I said, okay, that sounds right. That sounds good. And I really thought I would do like a year or two and then get one of these things called a degree and then go on my merry way and go help people. Well, I had not a clue what I was doing. I graduated in 1982. <laughs> No computers, no cell phones, no, <laughs> yeah. no algebra. No. So when they, they said, well, wait a minute, when did you graduate? I go 82. And they're like, oh, geez. So they give me these assessments. And uh, let me tell you, when I started questioning why it's two plus X equals five was a typo. I said, well, where's the number? They said, it, that's an X. I go, I don't know it's an X, but it's, where's the, it, I, where, what's the question? Yeah. Be, they're like, it's an X, it's algebra. I said, well, it's a typo. How am I supposed to, what? what? What's the question? You have the answer right there. So they're like, oh, Jesus, she's never had algebra. <laughs> and then they gave me a prompt to write a paragraph about some topic. Well, because I'm really mouthy and a huge advocate, but do n- I've never was taught how to properly write. I wrote like three pages, no periods, run on sentences, no rhyme, no reason, organization to my big fat opinion and they just said what did she we asked her a paragraph she gave me three pages of rambling i mean she's smart she's making a point but there's no organization she doesn't know how to write so you can imagine the prerequisites <laughs> yeah yeah you know and, the, and every time i was in school i mean i literally didn't even have to turn my computer on my boys had to help me with that so it took me 10 years to get you know four years to get my aa because i also had my kids in tow dragging them to the tutoring sessions um, and then I got my uh, bachelor's at CSUN, and, uh, you know, and then um, at Pierce College, I got my AA, which is uh, Pierce, and then uh, California State of Northridge, my BA. And then with that, um, I asked for a lot of help, and I wrote what I feel is probably one of the most passionate things I've ever written was my, was my, my personal statement for UCLA and USC. And I got into both. Cool. So, and of course, I went to UCLA because it was cheaper. And yeah, and I was more of a UCLA cat because I'm not that rich kid kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I only left a, a, a hundred in to the UCLA social work program. Wow. 
Yeah. So I was super proud. Um, they also teach you macro, meso, micro, which means like policy, community, and then individual from a biopsychosocial perspective, which is like looking at things from all different perspectives, which I'm really interested in versus the linear. Right. My degree is very colorful. That's I'm not, I don't even work with children because, well, I'm a mama bear. <laughs> I arrested immediately if I saw anybody, you know. So it's best I stay with the adults. So I, like I said, my area of concentration is homelessness and mental health and substance use. And it's actually the older population. Wow. And then, but how did you go so that you finished this and then you worked in that field? And then how did you get back to acting? Well, that's what's so crazy. This is where life takes you. So there I am thinking I'm going to do this in a year. Nine years later, <laughs> I found it in my first year of my master's, and the, my addiction just finally came to a head. Mm-hmm. I had to take the year off to go to rehab for 30 days intensive inpatient, and then I did 30 days intensive outpatient, and then I had a sober coach for a year. I had to take a year off to really find my sober legs because going back to my last year of my master's could have easily kneecapped me and rabbit hole me right back into um my my addiction so I had to take a year off went back sober and finished my last year again not knowing what I was going to do girl because there I am now about to I finally went to get my master's and then I realized wait a minute they only make like 50,000 a year (laughs) in LA if you do taxes and all that I have two kids and all the rescued animals like my friends are like how are you gonna live I go I don't know I'll figure it out (laughs) like what are you doing I don't know but I want to help people and I'll figure it out out of nowhere David David E. Kelly, my brother-in-law, texted me out of nowhere while I was interning at the Department of Mental Health and said, hey, are you still acting? I'm doing this show called Big Sky. I have a role, named, a, a role called Denise. I think you're perfect for her. You want, are you interested? And I almost dropped my phone. I was like, where did that come from? I didn't even know David had my number. We're close because we're family, but I have a huge family. And we don't like, the ones I talk to like almost every day were my two sisters, right? Right. Well, I love David. He loves me, but we never talk shop. Ever the entire time I've known him, we've never talked shop. So this was a blew my mind. What do you think my answer was? Y e s s s s s s. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. You know, we had the I finished masters while doing the pilot of Big Sky and COVID. Oh my god, what a great! I love that. You know, it's so funny because I um. We had this this interview with um this really amazing um coach and and he he's um the head of this BBR talent agency store and he talked about how what we need to do as as actors is figure out the why like why we're doing it and what I think is so interesting about your story is that every single part of your life includes your why you know like (laughs) here you go you figure out what it is you love to do and how you love to serve and you discover there's this degree that's perfect for you in this in this place after acting after you know doing all these other things which is so inspiring to hear and then you go back, you go to Big Sky, and then you're doing it again. You're just doing it now in a different, yeah. in, you know, it's, it's yeah. so cool. Because yeah. I was able, because I said to David, who's she like? And he goes, she's you, just, just you know. Just be you. I said, so she's nuts. She's 50. I was 58. We went three years ago, 55. What, 58, 5, 6, 7, 8. Yeah, 55 when I got the role. But she was 50. So I was like, oh, I'm plenty under woman. So um, he said, she's funny, she's ironic, she's mama bear, she's, you know, all these things. So I was able to bring a lot of my social worker skills and my clinical skills and my comedy skills to this character 
And I just love the cast. They're just like so sweet. And the girls kind of remind me of my children. Yeah. You know, Kylie and Cassie, Kylie and, um, and Catherine kind of remind me the way they wrote the characters. They're always like at each other in front of Denise. So I kind of wrote her as like, like girls, girls, come on, come on, come on, get back to work, right? Yeah. Kind of like with my boys, you know, who are always on the couch wrestling when we're trying to, you know, decorate the Christmas tree and I have to do it by myself. So um, I've got, I was able to bring a lot of me and a lot of, stuff I've learned in the last 10 years to Denise, even though she's a, doesn't have a lot of screen time, there are no such thing as small actors, you know? There's no such thing as small roles, only small actors. Right. I get career out of small roles. If you look at my career, the, the biggest stuff I've done have been small roles. Right. But really, hopefully, met rememberable, because like you said, you've come in with um, a why, but the why has to be really, like, powerful and strong and hot. If your yes. why is lukewarm then you're acting lukewarm right so all your choices need to be hot and on fire and where are you going to find your fire your passion and by the way find your passion and your purpose will follow my friend told me that he said if you don't know what your purpose is if you wake up and you go what why am i here why am i in this body on this earth which means you don't know what your purpose is back up a little bit and rediscover what your passion is and your passion will, will lead you to your purpose isn't that cool? I love that one. So cool. And I, 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 yeah. It's so right? cool. yeah. yeah. It's so cool because you can find, you know, because like you said, acting is not linear. This career is not linear. And if you go to LA and or anywhere really in an industry and expect it to be linear, it's just not going to be like that. And so to follow what your passion is and the stuff that brings you joy, essentially, it's going to keep guiding you towards your purpose. It helps to take those knocks. Because <laughs> if you're coming from a place of passion, it's easier to take the knocks. Because, so for instance, like when you're in a so, when you're, uh, you're a social worker, we deal with a lot of broken systems, a lot of old systems that are just not working. They work against the social worker who's out there in the field trying to help people in need, but you've got systems that are not really working, right? right. Money throwed, thrown at crises and situations, but not necessarily infiltrated into the actual problem. So you got people out there, let me tell you, they are working from a place of passion. They are not making any money. This is not a money gig. So right, it's they're able to deal with those knocks because it, they're coming from a place of wanting to help people. And that desire is pretty strong. If you have that, if you don't, that's cool. That's cool. No one's judging yeah. you. But, you know, and I think as an artist, actor, it's the same, it's a similar thing. I also think one of the other things I say as an actor, when you're starting to really feel beat up, and that will happen, it's important to remember something um, from a scientific or numbers perspective. 99.9% of actors are unemployed. Mm-hmm. Or is it less than 1% are ever working, actively working at one time? So if you look at those odds, when you go in for a role... <laughs> 99% of the actors are not going to get that role and only one person's going to get it. That, so are we saying that 99, all those other actors are, are just a piece of, uh, are not good. Right. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Is, yeah. that, is that what we're saying? Cause I don't believe that I'm a producer too. I produce things. I thought every actor come in and Oh my God, I'm telling you, I could cast every single one, but only one can get it. And right. why the one gets it is often never the reason why you would think because I, I sat there as, a, as an actor producer and a few things I produced, and I was shocked how they came to the conclusion. I was like, what? I like that actor, but let me tell you, there's five others that I like for different reasons, but they like so-and-so for other reasons that you kind of go, oh, no. And then I thought, this is why I didn't get roles sometimes. It had nothing to do with me. And right. you bust the bug going in there. So my advice is, knowing that the, the, this is scientific forensic evidence, 
99% of people are not going to get it. So you know what I say? Forget about trying to get the role and go in and have fun. Just go in and blow up that room. Go up and show them what you can do and then leave and then throw it up to Mother Earth. Because really that's what it's about. Because then your perspective and your acting looks different. You don't look desperate or hungry or, you know, like I know that's hard to say, but if the way you're going to the room is, I just want to go in the show where I can do because I'm going to have fun today. Damn it. You know, this is not even about getting the role because those are generally how I get the role. It's not because I'm necessarily the right person, but I come in and just do it for me, not them. Oh, I love that. What great advice. Right? Yeah. Then, well, I used to drink afterwards, but whatever. Now I got the Coca-Cola and say, yeah, uh-huh. That's what I did. Did you get it? I go, I don't know. Who knows if I got it? But I can tell you one thing. What I left behind was an energy and a way to attack a role that came from a different perspective than most actors are going to go in. And also, little expectation, little letdown. Right, right. <laughs> expectation, here's letdown. So how about this? Pull that down, leave the expectations out the door, and just do it for yourself. I right? love it. Go in I there love- and especially if you come up with something that you know no one else has come up with, you know, those little teeny things you do in a scene, that you go, no, no one's going to come up with this because I just came up with it and it's, it's different. Yeah. I just like, sometimes I can't sleep at night because I want to go in and just do that little thing. Like, I, oh, I want to show you what I did in Big Sky this year. I can't. But look, the first episode of the season with Jensen. Yeah. Just so they left it in. I did something that I didn't think they were going to leave in that <laughs> Kylie and Catherine and, Jen, and Jensen were like, ah, Denise. <laughs> and I thought, this is not going to fly. But because the night before when I was doing the scene, it was kind of just an exposition scene. It was not really... Yeah just moving the story forward but i went and injected it with something i thought funny and a little naughty and they're they're gonna use it in the first that's awesome yeah right and i did that for me knowing they're gonna probably cut it out knowing they're gonna say it's really good but not do it again but without that (laughs) that usually means we can't yeah right right but i mean but that's the thing is that you know when you bring yourself to the role that's what you know, no one else could do that. I couldn't do that and do what you you did because it's like I'm not you, and you're you know you're not me. We're not each other, and that's kind of the beauty of it too. I love that. So we're we're at the end of our episode, and I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Have me back on when the show airs because, girl, we have Jensen, we have Reba, we have Rex, we have Rosanna Arquette, we have. Oh my God, we have a huge new guest starring cast, which we love to come say, come play with us. And sometimes they get killed, sometimes they don't. We don't know. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Oh, I, I, I would love to. <laughs> I would love to ask you our last question, because I know you have a good one for this and I'm dying to hear it is, you know, as we, as you know, what is an LAism? Something about LA that you've noticed. <laughs> Okay, and I'm going to get totally rainbow, you know what, for this one. But it's so true. Do not put your blinker on. Now, I know that sounds cliche. Have you tried driving in L.A. and put your damn blinker on? Now, i got two teenage boys in the car, and I'm teaching them how to drive. Unfortunately, this is how I teach them to drive. Okay, boys, now I'm going to make a lane change, and look what happens. There's a spot, right? And they're like, yeah, I put a blinker on. Guy speeds up. And then <laughs> the next one. And they're like, wait a minute, what did they do? I said, that's L.A., and I know that that's... I'll use an expert. That's messed up. That's not the word I use. You can, you can swear. This is how you actually have to make a lane change. So another spot came up. I hit the blinker and then went. Like before the person registers your blinker. That's how you use your blinker. That's, that is. You use it or you put it on go. That is so true. That is. Right. 
I so didn't even think about that. That's so true. That yeah. is so true. Don't, give them, don't let them register enough time that your blinkers on. So technically you can say to the officer, I put it on, but you know, I had to put it on last second because that guy was going to speed up and I was never going to make the off ramp. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's a very con. See, again, blinker. It's not just a linear thing. It's really complicated. Right use it but know when to use it and know when not to use it so the, i feel like the big like there were so many takeaways from this but one of the ones that we're going to end on is just the non-linear quality of yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for being on this doing this episode with me and um it's just really a pleasure thank you so much thank you this episode of speak LA, the podcast was sponsored by actress connection Actress Connection offers free resources, including valuable online programs. For more information, go to actressconnection.com and sign up for their e-blast today. It is also sponsored by the Speak LA membership, which provides you with professional guidance and hands-on mentoring. If you're serious about your acting career, join the Speak LA membership today. To join or for more information about the membership, go to ispeakla.com. That's ispeakla.com. Our sound engineer is the very talented Dan Leonard of homevoiceoverstudio.com. And I'm Camille Thornton Olson, your host for today and one of the co-founders of Speak LA. Come and find us at ispeakla.com. That's ispeakla.com. See you next time. Bye.